I want to talk to you on this subject, a passion for justice and mercy. A passion for justice and mercy. I do hope that every one of us in this room this morning that we understand that Jesus saved us for more than just to avoid evil. Jesus saved us, yes, avoiding evil is a part of it, but Jesus saved us to do good. Amen? He saved us to do good. Now, I don't know how many of you maybe grew up like I did, but I grew up in a church where we were known more for what we did not do than what we did do. I mean, if my friends were to ask me about our church, I would say, well, I can tell you a lot of things we don't do that we're not allowed to do because that's how we defined holiness. We defined holiness by what we were separating ourselves from. But I would have struggled to talk to you about what we were to do as the church. Because you see, holiness is not just what we separate ourselves from. Even more than that, it's what we give ourselves to. Amen? And so we, we've not been saved just to avoid evil. We've been saved to do good. Now, if you don't know this passage in Matthew 5 by now, it's not my fault. Because I've sure shared this passage of Scripture with you enough that you ought to know it by now. But in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. You are a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And then he says, Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. You know, you don't light a light and then hide it. No, a light is meant to be seen. He said, But you put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. And then he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your, what? Your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I would love for Summerton to be a place where good works. Amen. Amen. Where good works. Listen to this next passage of Scripture in Ephesians 2 and 10. The Apostle Paul says, For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, that we are created in Christ for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then we're told in Titus chapter 2 verse 14 that he it is, that is Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people of his own who are Look at this, zealous for good works. Not only are we to do good works, but we are to do good works with energy and enthusiasm and with intensity. That we're to be fired up about doing good works. Now that passage of scripture tells us two things about Jesus. First of all, it tells us that Jesus was our sin bearer. Isaiah reminds us of that in Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, when he said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. 
The chastisement for our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And look at this. The Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He was our sin bearer. But not only was Jesus our sin bearer, Jesus was also our way shower. He showed us how to live life. He showed us how to serve. Matter of fact, when he came out of the wilderness after being tempted of the enemy by the devil for 40 days, the Bible said that he came out of the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit and he goes into the temple. And the Bible says that when he goes in, he says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. Amen. That captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So he was our sin bearer and he was our way shower. He was the fulfillment of Isaiah 58. So I want you to go with me this morning, if you would, to Isaiah 58. And the first thing that we're going to notice in Isaiah chapter 58 is this. That is, we're going to notice the problem of religion. And I'm talking about religion without God. The problem of religion. Notice what God says to the prophet Isaiah. He said, shout it aloud. Do not hold back. In other words, boy, I want you to speak what I tell you to speak. I want you to speak the truth and I want you to shout it aloud and I don't want you to hold anything back. And then he goes on and he says, Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. He said, For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. Now he's talking here about the nation of Israel. He's talking about a nation who supposedly loved him and was serving him. But he describes them, he said, day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why, they said, why have we fasted? That is, why isn't our religion working? They said, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? God said it back to them. He answered and said, yet on the day of your fasting, notice this is not the kind of fast that I have in mind. This is not what I see as true fasting. But he said, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. He said that you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. 
Is this, God said, the kind of fast? Is this the kind of religion? Is this the kind of worship that I've chosen? Only for a day for people to humble themselves because they would take a day out of every week or perhaps a day out of every month or maybe for some even just a day out of every year to humble themselves. And he said, is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Here's the problem with religion. Religion doesn't have the power to change your heart. It, that, that's the bottom line. And, and these folks that God is speaking to Isaiah about, they're wondering why their religion isn't working. They're saying, God, you know, we're going to church every Sunday and, and God, we're even getting up early and we're going to Sunday school and, and Lord, we sing in the choir and Lord, we go to small group and Lord, we pay our tithes and Lord, we read our Bibles and, and, and Lord, we, we, we do all of that, God. So why? We're even fasting, God, but why is our religion not working? And here's what God said back to them. He said, your religion is not working for you because your religion is not working in you. Somebody missed a good opportunity to say amen right there. Amen. He said your religion's not working for you because your religion is not working in you. He said that your fasting is a front. Your fasting is a cover-up. Your, your fasting is to camouflage who you really are. You think that if you just go through the religious motions, that if I just show up on Sunday and if I sing along with the worship team and if I go to a Sunday school class, if I, if I, if I pray, if I read my Bible, then, then others are going to think that I have a real relationship with God. But God says it goes no deeper than that. And that's the problem of religion. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. You can go to church. You can have a perfect attendance in Sunday school all your life. But until you have a relationship with God, your heart will never be changed. You will never have the heart of God that you need to have passion for justice and mercy. And so Isaiah talks about the problem of religion, that religion doesn't have the power to change anybody. But then he talks about a relationship with Christ. Notice what Paul said here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. This described the nation of Israel perfectly. It also described the Pharisees during the days of Jesus. And notice what it says. He said that these false teachers... And these false preachers in the last days, he said, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. That's exactly what was going on with the Pharisees. They had a form of godliness. The New King James Version says they had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. And I like the way the New Living says it. They act religious. Now, I know we don't know anybody like that. 
We're, we're just talking about, you know, those folks in the Bible that Jesus had to deal with. I guess what we're seeing here is this is not a new issue in the church, that this has been going on since the beginning of time. He said they're going to act religious, but like those Pharisees, they reject the power. They reject a relationship with God. They reject his son Jesus, the one that gives them the power to be and to live godly. And so Isaiah talks about what happens when we have a relationship with God. Because notice he says your heart is changed. It's not that your religion is just working for you. It's working in you to change your heart. I pray every day and when I pray I say God put your heart in me. God I want your heart. I want to see others the way that you see others. I want to hear what you hear God. I want to feel what you feel and that's the prayer that we ought to be praying to have God's heart placed within us and here's what the heart of God looks like. God said is this not the kind of fast? Is this not the kind of religion is this not the kind of worship that I have chosen he said to loose the chains of injustice in other words to have a sense of right and wrong to want those who are being wronged to, to come to their defense amen he, he said so that so that they that the, the chains of injustice in their lives will be broken. And when he talks about injustice here, in that particular day and time, you had the rich who were oppressing the poor. You had the powerful who were oppressing the powerless. Again, I know we don't have those issues today, but these were issues back when Isaiah was talking to the nation of Israel. And hear me, he's not talking to the world. He's not talking to people who don't know God. He's talking to his children. And they're treating one another this way. The rich are oppressing the poor. The powerful are oppressing the powerless. But God said that's not how it should be. He said real religion, real worship is the kind that looses the chains of injustice. Amen. That you want what's right and you want what is good for every person. And he goes on and he says, and to untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. If we're not careful, when people come into the kingdom of God, if we're not careful, we oppress them more than we set them free. We, we, we put more burden on them than they are able to bear. God said it should not be that way. He even talked about how that religion, if we're not careful, coming to church, going to small group, going to Sunday school, singing in the choir, all of those things, if we're not careful, can become a burden that we weigh people down with to make them think that that is how you please God with the life that you live. No, that's not how you please God. You please God with when you have a heart for hurting people for the last, the lost, and the least, and you want to do something about their pain and their suffering. Oh, that's what he's trying to say here. He goes on and says, is it not to share your food with the hungry? See, now we're talking about the heart of God. He said, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? 
That when you see the naked, you clothe them. And then he says, you don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. You've got to understand the poor that he's speaking about. We may have a hard time identifying with this. Because the poor that he's speaking about is not poor. That is that they don't have much more than the average or, or, or they don't, they don't have any, anything compared to the average person. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that they don't have anything. They have nothing. They have absolutely nothing. And he said the reason why they don't have anything is because they've had to sell everything that they have just to meet their needs. So when he's talking about the poor here, he's talking about those who have nothing, the poor wanderer who has no shelter. He said the reason why they don't have shelter is because they've had to sell their house. They've had to sell their shelter in order to meet their basic needs. But listen to me. Don't just think, don't just assume that every time you see a homeless person that it's a result of some bad decision or some bad choice that they've made. There's a lot of people in this world, they're not homeless by choice. They're homeless because their circumstances have forced them to be homeless. Do you hear me this morning? He said this, he said, is it not to share your food with the hungry? Those that have nothing, those that don't have anything to eat. And to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. In other words, to provide, to provide housing for the homeless. And then he goes on and he says, and when you see them naked, to clothe them. Because the people that he's talking about here, they were so poor, they only had one change of clothes. They were so poor that they were just a couple of days away from having absolutely nothing to eat. They're living daily. That's why Jesus, when he taught his disciples how to pray, he talked about give us this day our daily bread. These people understood what it was like to have to trust God and believe God every single day for just a morsel of food to be placed on their table. But Isaiah said this is the kind of worship, this is the kind of heart that, that people who have a relationship with God have. It's to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, that when you see the naked, to clothe them. And I thank God this morning. I really do. I thank God for the ministries of this church. I thank God for our food bank. I thank God that we provide food for people in our community, thousands and thousands of people in our community who are able to get a meal if they're hungry because of the food bank ministry that we have here. I thank God for Pam Bass and for that passion that God's put in her heart to do that. I thank God for our clothes closet that, that artists and Shirley Newman, that God has put it in their heart to have this clothes closet so if there's somebody in our community who doesn't have anything to wear, they can come to our clothes closet and they can get something to wear. You see, that's the heart of God, Summit and Church of God. It's a passion for justice. It's a passion for mercy. You say, well, what is the difference, Pastor, between passion and compassion? Let me tell you. Passion is internal. Passion is something that only the Holy Spirit can build in our heart and in our spirit. It's internal, but it has an external impact because it motivates and inspires me to want to change the injustices and the sufferings of this world, to, to see the kingdom come and the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Compassion is different. Whereas passion is internal and has an external impact, compassion is external, but it has an internal impact. It's something that I see that touches my heart. And it causes me to have pity and it causes me to have sympathy. But it causes me to have more than pity and sympathy. It causes me to want to take action to do something about their suffering. It happened to me this past week when I was coming home from visiting at Princeton Hospital. And I came to that that intersection. I guess it's still called Arkadelphia Road there. Right off of I-20 and Arkadelphia Road. And I I came off of that exit and I stopped where they have a four-way stop now because they're doing some construction. And I stopped at that four-way stop. And there was a young girl. She couldn't have been far out of her teens if she was even out of her teens. In raggedy old clothes. In a raggedy old hat. And I know, I know sometimes we look at people like this and we think, well, she's deceiving people. She just, she just dressed that way to deceive. But listen, I believe that if that were the case, that the Holy Spirit would have impressed upon me and spoken to me that that were the case. But when I saw this young lady, my heart broke. And I began to weep because I began to think this is somebody's daughter. And this is somebody's granddaughter. And I don't know, I don't know what her situation is. I don't, I don't know if she's a drug addict. I don't know if she's a runaway. I, I don't know what's going on in her life. But I know that, that evidently her circumstances have driven her to the place to where she will stand at a, at a four-way stop. And she will hold up a sign and she will beg somebody to just buy me my next meal. Now listen, if you can drive by those kinds of situations and you don't feel any tug at all in your heart, then something is wrong with your heart. See, people don't care how much you go to church. Really, they don't. And I'm not saying saying that we shouldn't do those kind of things. Absolutely, if we love God, we want to come to the house of God and worship. But I'm telling you, people, people who are mistreated and people who are hurting, And people who are lost and people who are rejected and people who are broken. They don't care how many times you go to church every week. They don't care how many classes you attend. They don't care how many songs you sing in the choir. They don't care how many times you go to youth group. They they don't care about all that. All they want to know is, do you care about me? Do, Do you have the heart of God? Do you have the sympathy and the pity and the compassion that God has? Oh, God, give us your heart. Put your heart, Lord, of compassion within us. And he says this. He says, don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. Now, yes, he's talking about your family here. And that you need to make sure that you are meeting the needs of your family, that you're helping your family when they are in need. But more than this, we need to understand what Paul said about the body of Christ. He called it just that. He said, we are the body of Christ. So if we as the church, if we are the body of Christ, we all have the same flesh, which means that when one hurts, we all feel the hurt. And when one suffers, we all feel the suffering. And when one is broken, we all feel the brokenness of that. And he says, 
whatever you do, don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. Yes, that means that even when there's people in our congregation, even when there's people in the body of Christ, when there's people in the family of God who are hurting, who are in need, who are suffering, it is our heart, it should be our heart to reach out to them and to do all we can to alleviate those their suffering. That's what the early church did. The early church was so passionate and so compassionate about needing, meeting the needs of those who were hurting and those who were without and those who were hungry and those who were naked. Do you know what they did in the early church? They sold their possessions. They sold things that were valuable to them. Listen to me this morning. You will never have passion for something that is not valuable to you. And if people are not valuable to you, you'll never be passionate about people. If lost people are not valuable to you, you'll never be passionate about lost people. If hurting, suffering people are not valuable to you, then you will never have a passion for those people. Listen, we should value them because Jesus valued us so much that he made the ultimate sacrifice. He was willing to lay down his life because he said, you matter to me. You are valuable to me and I'm going to pay whatever I have to pay to make you whole. Amen. Yes. See, this is the power of a relationship with God because when we're in relationship with God, we know the heart of God. We know the heart of God. And we have His heart. When we see the problem of religion, we see the power of a relationship with God. But then here's the last thing that Isaiah shows us. He says this. He talks about the promise that comes, the rewards that come when we truly minister from a heart that is the heart of God. Before we look at that, let me, let me just back up here for just a moment. Because notice something else that Isaiah says will happen when our heart has been transformed. Now listen to me this morning. Our vision is to transform this community for the glory of God. But we will never transform this community until we ourselves have been transformed in our hearts. And so here's what he said. He goes on and he says this. He said, if, now, now we're getting to this if then. If you do your part, then I'm going to bless you. But he said, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk. See that person right over there? You're not going to believe what they did. See that person right over there? They're on drugs. You see that person right over there? They're, they have addictions to pornography. The pointing, the accusing of the finger. But not only does it mean the, the pointing of the finger. Matter of fact, if you go back to the original Hebrew word that's used here, it means a giving of the finger. I don't think I have to describe that. <laughs> but it's gestures of contempt. Listen, if we value people, we will not have pointing fingers of contempt, but we will respect them and we will honor them. Doesn't matter what their hangups are. It doesn't matter what their addictions are. It doesn't matter what their struggles are. They're still God's creation. 
and they still matter to God and they ought to still matter to us. Oh, Jesus himself even said that it is not the sick who need a physician or it's not the well who need a physician. It's those who are sick. And have we forgotten who it is that we are here to reach out to? Amen. We are here to reach out to those who are lost, those who are the least, those who are sick, those who are broken, those who are hurting. That's who we're here to reach out to. And then, and then he goes on. You just got to pardon me this morning, man, because this is, this is my heart. This is, this is my passion. He said, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. In other words, God says, I don't want you to just go down here to the store and buy a loaf of bread and give it to somebody that's hungry. He said, I want you to do more than that. I want you to give yourself. Give yourself in behalf of the hungry because you see it's not relief necessarily that they need what they need is relationship they need relationship with folks who are light and listen to what Jesus or listen to what Isaiah says as we continue on about the promise of the rewards how that the favor of God you remember what Jesus said he said to proclaim that this is the year of God's favor because when we have God's heart when our vision is the vision of God God is going to reward and God is going to put his favor upon us and we will never lack anything but notice the first thing that Isaiah said he said then your light will break forth like the dawn hey if our logo is going to say be light if our vision is and mission is going to be all about being light this is how we are light it's when we clothe the naked and when we feed the hungry amen come on and when we house the homeless amen and when we reach out to the hurting and the broken that's what being light is all about he said when you do this then he said your light is going to break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear because these folks were experiencing some physical issues as a result of their heart not being right with God and he said as a moment your heart gets right with God get ready because healing is going to come to this house brokenness is going to be made whole and he goes on and he says then your righteousness will go before you. I believe he's talking here about our reputation. I believe he's talking here about our influence that when people see us coming, they're going to say there comes people with the heart of God right there. There's come some people who know what real righteousness looks like and what real, how real righteousness lives. He said, then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. In other words, the enemy will not be able to sneak up on us. Amen. God will have our back. Look at your neighbor and say, God has got my back. Amen. He'll not let the enemy sneak up on you. He'll protect you. He'll care for you. He'll love you. And then he goes on and he says, Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here am I. Hallelujah. I believe that when we do what is in the heart of God, when God's heart is our heart, then when we cry out to God, when we pray to God, we will get answers to our prayers. Amen. And then he goes on, and I'm trying to get through this. He said it again. Then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like noonday. If we're going to eliminate the darkness by being light, this is what it takes. Isaiah tells us this is God speaking to 
to him saying that if you do these things, the night will become light. The night will become light. The darkness will be eliminated and light will overcome the darkness. Amen. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 11. He said, the Lord will guide you always. We'll never have to worry about our next step. We'll never have to worry about being misdirected because God will guide us. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. Do you know what that means? When everybody else is in a famine, when everybody else don't have what they need to do what God has called them to do, we will have everything we need. God will supply every resource we need to fulfill the vision that he's put in our heart to fulfill. Even during a time of famine, the people of God will not have lack if they have the heart of God and if they're ministering from a heart of God. He said he will also strengthen your bones strengthen your fame. He said you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And then he finishes up and says your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. Now get this. We talk about a transformation of our community. He said your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings, I love the way the New Living Translation says it. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. You will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. But I really like the way the message paraphrase says it. It says you'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. Hallelujah. This is what it means to be like Summerton Church of God. Amen. When we have a passion for justice and we have a passion for mercy and we have a passion to alleviate the suffering of our community and we have a passion to see lives transformed for the glory of God. Oh, come on and stand all over this house and give God some praise here. Hallelujah. It's coming. It's going to happen in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, Lord. Just stay on your feet. Stay on your feet. Hallelujah. <laughs> Micah chapter 6. I'm going to close right here. Micah chapter 6. When you begin Micah chapter 6, what we have recorded here is an imaginary conversation between God and the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel, actually verses 1 through 5, the Lord states his case against the disobedient people of Israel. And then in verses 5 and 6, or 6 and 7, I'm sorry, in verses 6 and 7 of Micah chapter 6, Israel responds to God with a series of questions. Basically saying this, saying, with what shall we come to the Lord? That is, when we come to worship, what do we bring in order that God would be pleased with us? And their questions focus on a list of religious rites. God, what 
should we bring to you to please you? God, would you be satisfied with a burnt offering of a year-old calf? That's the first question they ask. That was in the law of Moses. So they're just doing what the law demanded. God, would that please you? If we bring a burnt offering of a newborn calf, would that please you? And then it seems to go from lesser to greater, their questions do. They say, well, God, if that doesn't please you, then what about thousands of rams with 10,000 rivers of oil? What if we brought that kind of an offering? God, would that please you? And then they ended with this one. God, what if we brought you our firstborn sons? And we offered our firstborn sons. Would that please you? And the Lord looks back at them and he said, it's not your religion I want. He said, what I desire and what I demand is a changed heart. And so he says this in Micah chapter 6 verse 8. He says to Israel, he says, he's shown you, O man, what is good. In other words, why are you asking these questions? You know what's good. He said, here it is. Do justice. Love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. He said, that's, that's what pleases me more than anything else. That's what pleases me. Not your sacrifices, but the condition of your heart to do justice, to know right and wrong, to know when somebody's been done wrong and to step in and to stand up for what is right. Justice, love mercy. Mercy means loyal love. It means loving kindness. It means that we're loyal in our love to God and that we love His people so much we want to extend kindness to them. And then he says, walk humbly before God. That's the attitude of our heart when we approach God. It says, God, I'm no longer depending on me. I realize how limited I am. All my dependence is on you, God. And he said, that's what pleases me. So do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. A passion for justice and mercy. A passion to want to see lives changed for the glory of God. Is there anybody with me on that this morning?